Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, and thank you again for gathering with us before I move towards the sermon that God's put on my heart for us today. There are just a couple of things that I want to make mention of. The first one is this, is that this week on Tuesday for parents, we are actually going to be having some kind of teaching at home uh, tips for you that some of the educators here at City Church have put together. And so on Tuesday, that will be emailed out to you. So I wanted to make mention of that. The other thing is, is in the video you just watched, there was a mention of the daily devotional videos that my son Peter and I have been putting together. We're going to continue to do those throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And what I wanted to say as well with that is that if you are not getting our daily emails, I would, con- I would encourage you to please sign up for those. You can do that by going to the City Church website, and on the far right top corner, there's a button that says Contact. You can go ahead and click that, fill out your name, your email will be there, and just send us a note that you would like to be added to our daily emails so you can get the things that we're trying to communicate to everyone who's part of our online worship gathering. The other thing I want to ask you to do that we did last Sunday as well, if you wouldn't mind please taking pictures of your worship gathering, maybe you're by yourself, you're there with your family, wherever you're at, if you would take that picture and also a picture of your prepared communion. And if you would send those to us, if you know a staff member, you can text it to us, or you can send us those pictures via email at info at citychurchseville.com. The other thing that I'm going to make mention of, again, is would you please share the social media poster that we have at the City Church website? Um, we're really asking that you would do that and that you would invite people to come and worship with us on Easter Sunday morning. The other thing we're asking you to do is if you would, through social media, take a video of yourself in two minutes or less sharing what Easter means to you. Two minutes or less what does Easter mean to you? And then place that on your social media so that people can have an understanding of what Easter is. The other thing I want to mention, or the final thing is this. I want to thank you so much for your giving. Our goal throughout this COVID-19 pandemic is that City Church would remain healthy during this time so that we can continue to minister to effect- effectively to people in the midst of their need. But we also want to be healthy as a church after this crisis is over, and it will definitely be over. And so again, thank you so much for your giving. Well, today is Palm Sunday. And part of our resurrection series, I want to talk this morning about Palm Sunday in this sermon. Now, what I know is, is that there might be some of us who are new to faith. Maybe you're checking out Jesus. Maybe you have questions about Jesus and about faith. You would ask an honest question, and it's one that I'm going to try to answer throughout this sermon. And it's this. In the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, with all the worry the confusion, the anxiety, and the fear. What can Palm Sunday say to me? 
How in the world can a story that's 2,000 years old where people are waving palm branches at Jesus and laying them on the road in front of them, how in the world can that story say something to me? Well, I believe that this story can because the story in the scriptures about Palm Sunday tells us something about Jesus and therefore tells us something about God. But in that I sense that many accurately would challenge me with that question, what does Palm Sunday have to say to me in the midst of my worry, fear, confusion and struggles and anxiety, I have a question for you. And here's my question for you. What does the COVID-19 pandemic say about you? I know that this pandemic has revealed things about us as people that maybe we weren't really aware of. Now, I can confess to you that I had my own COVID-19 scare. A couple of weeks ago, I was carrying almost all of the symptoms, and I was sent to the COVID-19 clinic at UVA, and I was tested, and I came up without it, nor did I have the regular flu. But what I do know is during those hours, it was interesting to kind of look at myself as to what was going on in my own heart and my own life during that time. Now, in answering the question, what is going on with us in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were several things that I read this past week that I think will tell us a little bit about ourselves. First of all, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that was entitled, A Coronavirus Great Awakening. It was, it was penned by Robert Nicholson, and you can read it. It was penned and or published on March 26th. The subtitle to that title, A Coronavirus Great Awakening, was this. Sometimes the most important ingredient for spiritual renewal is a cataclysmic event like the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe that is true. Maybe some of us in the midst of this are starting to have what we would call a spiritual awakening. That's my prayer. But I also read another article yesterday that also let us know what's going on with us in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was an article that I read in The Hill and it had to do with the Nielsen television ratings. I want to read it for you. On March 16th, five days after the announcement of the global pandemic, consumers watched nearly 156.1 billion minutes of streaming contact, content on their television screen, up 22% from the week before and 2.2 times higher than the comparable week in 2019. One of the little subnotes to this was also that note that Nielsen is reporting just streaming on television sets. The analysis does not measure mobile or PC video streaming, so the total amount of online video watching by U.S. consumers is multiples higher than what they can report. In other words, as a people, in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, we are watching hundreds of billions of minutes of online comment per day, and Netflix was the highest of all. 
The third thing that I read was sent to me by a friend of mine here at City Church. He sent me the following article, which was fascinating. And here's what it said. During the pandemic that McLaughlin and Associates did a polling of people, and here's what they discovered, that 21.5% of non-Christians say that the coronavirus pandemic has led them to begin to read the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? That maybe the article in the Wall Street Journal is true, and I pray it is. That in the midst of this, our hearts are turning not just to entertainment, but to God as well. So the question has to be that I would pose to you and to myself. Are we seeking entertainment or are we seeking spiritual growth? Believe me, I'm not against Amazon Prime. I am not against Netflix. But the question has to be, what does this pandemic say about us and how are we handling it? But again, in this sermon, I want to answer the accurate question. How can Palm Sunday, the story of people waving palms at Jesus, have anything to do with this COVID-19 crisis and where we are at today? So my purpose in this sermon, my goal in this sermon, is that we would come to understand at a very deep level what is Palm Sunday? What is the deep biblical understanding of it? And also, what is the cultural understanding of it? And then what, how can that speak spiritually into our lives? Well, on a very practical level, Palm Sunday in the church world is the beginning of Holy Week. It's the first Sunday of Holy Week, and Easter is the final Sunday. Throughout this week, there are a lot of expressions in different churches, and as you're already aware, we will be celebrating Palm Sunday and, I'm sorry, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, we will be live streaming our services here this coming week. But not only is Palm Sunday the beginning of Holy Week, but Palm Sunday also has a direct connection to the beginning of the Lenten season, the beginning of the Easter season. You see, Ash Wednesday begins the Lenten season. And it's because of Palm Sunday that you have ashes for Ash Wednesday. Many of you may not know, but in many churches where ashes are applied to the forehead, the palms from the previous year are saved, they're dried out, they're burned, and then those ashes are applied to the foreheads of people on Ash Wednesday. And so you see, in a very practical way in the church world, Palm Sunday is connected to the beginning of Holy Week, but also the beginning of the Lenten season as well. In order for us to understand biblically what Palm Sunday is, in just a few moments, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. But for those of you who like to study in depth about biblical context, I would encourage you to get the book that's entitled The Last Week by Borg and Crossan. It's a book that I have utilized in order to more deeply understand what happens to Jesus during the Holy Week, and I encourage you to get that book as well. It's excellent. Now, before we read, we must understand the cultural context that Jesus is moving towards as he enters the city on Palm Sunday. We need to understand it's extremely emotional. 
Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to die. Therefore, there's sorrow. But in Jerusalem, the city has swollen from about 40,000 inhabitants to over 200,000 inhabitants because it's the celebration of Passover. And as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the city is overrun with pilgrims who have come to celebrate the Passover feast. But I think we must remember that the Passover feast is God's mandated annual ceremony and feast and celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian empire. So can you imagine? Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. It's a city that's now dominated by the Roman empire. And all the Romans know that the celebration that's happening is a reminder of God's deliverance from a previous empire, the Egyptian empire. And Rome is now dominating the Jewish people. What we need to understand is Rome is on high alert. And so although there's celebration in the city because of Passover, there's also tension in the air because Rome is ready to squash any sign of any rebellion in response to the Passover celebration. I want us now, stepping into that emotional context, I would like to read Matthew 21, verses 1 through 7. This gospel story is found in all four gospels. And partway through the reading of Matthew 21, Matthew's account, I'm going to bring in a couple verses from Luke's account to add some color and some understanding as to what's happening. But here we go. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's what scripture tells us. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say, to the, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, Zion meaning Jerusalem, say to daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did it. Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. What we need to understand about Palm Sunday is that the Gospel of Matthew and other Gospels let us know that the context into which Jesus is stepping has been prophetically announced hundreds of years earlier in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10 tells us this. The coming of Zion's king. I want you to listen carefully. Here's what Zechariah writes hundreds of years before. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, meaning Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice something. 
that not only does the prophet Zechariah tell us that Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, but hundreds of years earlier, the prophetic announcement is, is that when this king shows up on a donkey, that he's coming in peace. He's coming to deliver peace. He's not showing up with chariots. He's not showing up with bows. He's not showing up with swords. That there would be a king that would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And his offering to the people would be an offering of peace. It would be out of humility and out of kindness, not out of military might and domination. Now, as we are reading, again, I want to pull in the text from Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42. Here's what the gospel of Luke tells us as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. It says, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. You see, Jesus weeps. His heart is absolutely broken. Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he laments, he grieves, he weeps. I don't know how you are, but during this COVID-19 crisis, this is where I have found myself at times. When I've been praying, I have felt like crying I felt like weeping. I have felt like expressing my grief to God as clearly as I can. And the good news is, is this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He is looking at the current context and his heart is broken. He is grieving. And one of the reasons why he is grieving is because he has come to bring peace. And in coming to bring peace, he knows that many people are going to miss it. They will continue to look for other things for peace. They'll look in other directions. But here he is. He's fulfilling prophetic announcements from the book of Zechariah. Not only is he on a donkey, but he is showing up to deliver peace. My prayer is, is that you and I would discover the peace that Jerusalem missed over 2,000 years ago. But notice again, Jesus says, what would bring you peace? Notice again that the prophet announced that this man would come and when he comes, he would announce peace to all of the nations. You can't miss the irony of this though. Herein lies the irony. As Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he's announcing peace. But he's announcing it in the midst of what was supposed to have been the greatest span of peace ever known to humankind. It's called Pax Romana. You see, decades earlier, Augustus Caesar had announced publicly that the world had now stepped into peace. He announced it. He considered himself the Lord of peace, that had ushered peace into the entire Roman world. And yet everything that Rome could offer had not brought people peace, even though it had been announced by Augustus Caesar. So you can't miss the irony. Jesus in the midst of Pax Romana, is moving towards Jerusalem. And the prophet announced, and so did Jesus, that he has come to speak about peace, only true peace. So the question has to be, Luke 19, 42, what would bring you peace? Where do you go for peace? Where do you look? I know that some of us are going to Netflix 
We're going to entertainment. We're looking for things that will kind of somehow remove us from the context that we're in. But I received a great text this week from a friend of mine who just recently came to faith in his 70s. He literally texted me this last night. Here's what his text said to me. During these times, it is sad that there may be people who don't have what I do. His text said, the peace that comes from accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. How true that is. As we think about Palm Sunday, please know that Palm Sunday is all about Jesus offering us peace. And on this Palm Sunday, I would ask you the question, where do you look for peace? The question Jesus asks is, what would bring you peace, Jerusalem? Can't you see it? And my question to all of us is this, what or where do you look for peace? My answer, I think, is in a who. Peace is found in a person, in the person of Jesus. And why can I say this with so much confidence? It's not just about Palm Sunday. But a week from today, Jesus would rise from the dead. Jesus would literally go through everything that robs us of life, robs us of peace, fills us with anxiety and worry and fear. Jesus would walk through everything that brings that into our life. And then on Easter, he would rise again. You see, Jesus can authentically say he is the Prince of Peace because he has been through everything that the world could throw at him, that Rome could throw at him, that the enemy of our soul could throw at him. Jesus made it through and he was raised to new life on the third day. You see, Palm Sunday is definitely about Jesus offering us peace, but the assurance of it is next Sunday, Easter Sunday. It's the guarantee that Jesus, not Augustus Caesar, truly is the Prince of Peace. Reading on in our gospel, we now pick up in Matthew chapter 21, verses eight through 11, Reading says this, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's where Palm Sunday comes from. People are snapping branches from trees along the road. They're waving them at Jesus and they're laying them down before him. Verse nine, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him. So he's got some people ahead of him some are behind him, and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So picture this. Jesus is on a donkey, and he's moving towards Jerusalem. He has a crowd in front of him and a crowd behind him, and they are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is just a simple word that means God save us. They're shouting behind and in front of Jesus, God save us. Now, what are we talking about, though, when we look at Palm Sunday? 
What is actually culturally happening? Because remember I said at the outset of this sermon, we're going to look at it biblically and culturally so we can accurately and spiritually apply this story to our lives. You see, Palm Sunday is really misnamed. It should be called the triumphal entry because culturally that's what the people of Jesus' day understood. What is a triumphal entry? A triumphal entry, or the most famous of them, involved a Roman ruler. It was a Roman ruler who had been victorious in battle. What the Roman ruler would do is the captives would be put in front of him that he had conquered, the loot would be behind them, then he would ride in on a white stallion, and all of his victorious troops would enter into the conquered city behind him. That's what a triumphal entry is. A triumphal entry is the sign of the military might and the political might of a powerful individual who represents a powerful empire. What you may not know, but almost, and what almost all biblical historians tell us, is that Jesus' triumphal entry was not the only one that happened on Palm Sunday. That Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor had most likely had one earlier that day. You see, on the same day where Jesus arrives on a donkey, that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, would have ridden into Jerusalem on a white stallion. In front of him would have been Roman troops holding up the symbols of the power and the might of Rome. The people of Jerusalem would have heard that familiar sound of the brass trumpets announcing Pontius Pilate's arrival in their city. They would have heard the hobnailed boots stomping and marching on the stony streets of Jerusalem. And Israel again would have been clearly reminded that Rome was dominating them. And once again, the military might and the political might of Rome is invading their city. And Pilate is setting up so that he can oversee the Passover celebration because he as the governor knows that if the people are going to revolt, it's probably during the Passover. So picture this. If you were in Jerusalem on that day, you would have seen two triumphal entries. You would have seen pilots with the Roman Empire and the Roman authority behind him. He would have entered the city and Pontius Pilate would have gone up into Herod's palace, which was this huge palace that by a walkway was connected to the temple in Jerusalem. He would have gone into that palace and everyone knew he was elevated above the temple and he was there to make sure with the military might of Rome that no one got out of line. But then there was another triumphal entry. And the scripture tells us in verse 9 that the crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that went behind him were cheering. They were saying, Hosanna, God save us. God save us save us. And here comes Jesus. He's fulfilling the prophecies of Zechariah. And when he does, he comes humble and he's gentle and he's kind and he's coming to offer peace. And the scripture says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The reason why is because they'd seen Pilate come in earlier that day. And now there's another triumphal entry. But picture the scene. 
There's no stallion. There's no weapons. There's no empire. There's nothing. All there is is Jesus riding on a donkey. He's at eye level with all the people. The people can touch him. They can know him. They can reach out and touch him as he passes by. And the people that are traveling with him are doing so because they love him. And they're there to serve and to be a part of what Jesus is going to do. So the question has to be, which triumphal entry will we look to? Will we look to a triumphal entry that is filled with military might and political savvy? Or are we willing to look at Jesus' triumphal entry, one that is humble and is gentle and kind and can offer us peace from within instead of peace from without? What's fascinating is, is that we know that Pilate would have entered Jerusalem and gone to Herod's palace. But Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13, tells us what Jesus did. Jesus enters into the city in his triumphal entry. But what he does is stunning. The scripture tells us in verse 12 and following that Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Please notice that when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he doesn't go in and become a part of the money machine in the temple. He doesn't go in and act politically to advance his own career. He doesn't go in and try to manipulate things so that he can be set up as king and become wealthy. He doesn't do that. Jesus steps in, and when he does, he's concerned about prayer. He's concerned about the people's ability to connect with God. So as we look at this story, we have two triumphal entries. We have Pilate's, which is about money, military power, and political savvy. We have the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is about gentleness and kindness and peace. So when we think about putting feet to our faith, and we talk every sermon at City about feet to your faith, the question has to be, how does this apply to my life? And the first one is this. Jesus is deeply concerned about prayer when he enters into Jerusalem, he wants to make sure that the temple would be a place where people can go and through prayer they can connect with God. I want to challenge you. Be the type of person that during this season you are honestly praying to God. You reveal your heart to God. It might mean that you enter into a season of lament like Jesus does where you're bringing your grief, your concern, your anxieties and your cares to God. But I want to challenge you, as you're watching this sermon, don't become a Netflix person. I think my concern is, is that we could easily become so entertainment-oriented that our minds and who we are and our hearts get filled with some type of a fantasy life. I would so much rather that we would intentionally be a group of people that put feet to our faith and be concerned about what Jesus was in the triumphal entry, and that is prayer. Spending time 
in prayer. The next thing, the next question I would have is are there tables that Jesus would turn in my life? I want you to notice that Jesus enters into the temple and when he does, he turns things over. His desire is to remove things, things that would block a healthy prayer life before God. Is there anything in my life under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that God would be saying to me, you've looked there for peace, you've looked there for peace, and you're not finding it. Maybe through this COVID-19 crisis, God by his grace will use it to show us the areas in which we've looked for peace that have now been shaken and they're crumbling and they've become unstable. And then the last question is the one Jesus asked. What would bring me peace? As we put feet to our faith and we now move towards communion, I would challenge you with that question. What would bring you peace? I believe with all of my heart and I'm experiencing this through Christ that there is a peace that's available for Jesus and through Jesus. And what I want to say is that is what Palm Sunday is all about. That Jesus does have something to say to the crisis we find ourselves in. At this time, I would like us to take communion together. And as we move towards communion, I'm going to ask that you would humble yourselves before God. Humbling ourselves before God again as we celebrate communion the Lord's Supper. Some of you may have known this as the Eucharist. But as we move towards taking communion together, I want you to know that we invite everyone to take communion as we do. That you would participate with us. That we would gather again to refocus ourselves in the midst of what's going on in this COVID-19 crisis. That we would focus again on Jesus. And in doing so, I believe as we take communion together, that God through Christ will bless us with his peace. You know, just a few days after the triumphal entry, Jesus meets with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, and he has what we know as the Last Supper. Again, it's called by many things, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. But as we're gathering together, Let's read the words from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Here's what the gospel of Matthew tells us. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. I'm going to ask that you would hold the bread up before the Lord now. As we do, please have confidence in this as we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, and we are reminded again through the broken body and the bread that we're going to take that Jesus truly can give us peace that passes all understanding. Let's give thanks for the bread. Jesus, we thank you so much for your broken body. We thank you that in you, on Palm Sunday, you stepped into Jerusalem. You fully committed yourself so that in you we could find peace and life in the midst of the most difficult seasons of life. Jesus, now as we hold up this bread, we remember your body. We remember what's coming towards you through Good Friday. And we thank you for what you've done for us. Let's eat together.
Verse 27 in Matthew chapter 26 says this, Then Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for us. As we hold this cup, Jesus, we remember again the sacrifice that you paid so that we could be freed up from our sins and have new life in you. Lord Jesus, I pray in this moment that there would be people who as they're holding this cup, they choose to put their faith, hope, and trust in you. That from this moment on, they completely commit their lives to what you have done for us and receive it fully in faith. Lord, I also pray as we drink this cup that the peace that you offered to Jerusalem but was missed would be a peace that we would accept by faith as we drink this cup in Christ's name. Amen. Let's drink together. Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. We now worship you because of all that you offer to us. Let's worship Jesus together.